I can never understand why my parents named me that. Mary. Just a family name, but why Mary? Why not Vania, God's gracious gift, or Toby, God is good, or even Sarah, princess? Why Mary? Why bitter? But not only did my name mean bitter, as if that's not hard enough to answer to, it was also one of the most common names. Mary, did you finish your mending? Five dozen yes or no's would echo down our alley. I learned to accept being common and answering to bitter without becoming it. It was expected of a woman to accept her lot, and how could I be discontent when daily I knew the goodness of my God? One of my greatest amazements was his goodness in betrothing me to Joseph. I didn't need to be reminded, though my mother often would, of all the men my father could have chosen for me. Instead, he chose Joseph, and Joseph wanted me. Such a kind and generous heart, I knew I would learn to love Joseph very soon, if my admiration of him wasn't mixed with love already. Then it happened. One minute I was daydreaming of Joseph, the children we'd have, a clean home with Joseph's shop around back, the children's bright eyes the first time they see the temple, helping my children learn the Holy Scriptures, our Torah, when suddenly the most incredible light shone from a being in the middle of my room. I hid my face. Was it God? Would I die? Then he said it. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you me. A common nobody found favor with El Elyon, God Most High, would have his son, would have the Messiah that every female born of Jacob dreamed of having. But it would be me. I would only kiddingly wish for it. I would laugh with pleasure at the thought of being uncommon enough to bear the Messiah, God's tool to deliver Israel deliver Israel. That's the part I never understood no Jew ever did. We expected a military hero, a king. The deliverance we experienced was unexpected. It was the reason that Gabriel didn't change my name. We announced that my son, Jesus, God's son, will be born. He called me Mary. I pondered many things while raising Jesus. Or was it me learning from him? That's the humor of it all. He taught in our temple when he was only 12. But he was God, why shouldn't he? Then he did it. He delivered us. He allowed those who hated him just to kill him. Then, for just a handful of rulers, he submits to condemnation. It was then I knew why I was called bitter. I had never faced bitterness like I did at the feet of my son as he hung dying, not even when Joseph almost divorced me, or the community shunned me as an adulteress, or when we fled to Egypt to save Jesus' life, or when Joseph died or Jesus left home. But here, I saw the hope of Israel dying a needless death. I had learned by then not to ask or interfere, but to wait. So I watched, 
As his heart broke and his lifeblood literally mixed with water and poured from his side, I died. I suffered the bitterest my life could have known. The hope of Israel went out with the sun. It must have been his father's anger, I thought then, that shook the earth. What could a mere woman do, Adonai? You know I would have died in his place. Even as I thought it, however, I knew it wouldn't have been the same. Though what good it could have done for him to die, I couldn't know. When the earthquake happened, many of Jesus' followers thought it was the end, that we'd be swallowed up by the earth like Korah was in the desert. Some wailed that God's prophecies were ruined, surely all Israel would die for it. Others ignored nature's chaos and believed their trust in Jesus was misplaced. We didn't know then that the temple curtain had been torn, going from top to bottom, the entrance to the forbidden holy of holies was exposed. All the priests ran out, covering their eyes, lest they perish. Three days of reading, a sorrowful Sabbath. Then, Mary Magdala, Mary Copa's wife, and Salome found that Jesus' tomb was empty. Mary Magdala claimed that Jesus had come to her, alive. As the weeks went by, we and 500 others saw Jesus, touched, ate with him, and talked to him. My son is alive. God's son is alive. He is no longer mine to guide and mother, but I am his now. He is and always has been greater than I. I can know his father because of his blood, sacrificed and perfect, acceptable as the complete atonement for my sin. And know him, God has accepted him as my sacrifice. My punishment was paid by my son. I am no longer bitter. I am common among men, yet loved by the Lord. Have you met him? Mary's words ring true. My son is alive. God's Son is alive. That's what Easter is all about. That message from Mary. You know, thank you, Erica, for making the gospel message alive for us today. Because that's the message. Jesus is alive and well. That right now, today, He's alive and well. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And He's involved in the lives of every single person who gives their life to Him. He's not some dead God buried in a tomb, some dead person. He's alive and well, and he's active and involved in the lives of those who dedicate their lives to him. It was good to kind of feel the reality of that today through the monologue that Erica portrayed as, as Jesus, as, as Mary, the mother of Christ. Can you imagine what Mary and all of the followers of Jesus must have really felt like when they truly came to terms, to grips with the reality that Jesus was alive. I can't really imagine what it was. I can't imagine the roller coaster of emotions that they would have felt. Joy saying, I'm following the one I believe is a deliverer. The pits of despair, the depths of despair, saying that all my hopes are dashed. 
And then people start to whisper, he's not dead, he's alive. I can't really even imagine what they must have felt that day when they realized he was alive. They, they recognized that the Romans hadn't won. They thought for a minute he, the Romans had won, that, that Pilate had him crucified and it was all over. But they realized the Romans hadn't won. They realized the religious leaders hadn't won on that day. They realized ultimately that, that Satan hadn't won when they realized that he was alive. They realized that death hadn't won. Death could not hold him in the tomb. See, Jesus won when he walked out of the tomb that day. And Scripture says he won because by raising from the dead, he conquered death, hell, and the grave. I'd imagine those people on that day, those followers, had to be happier than they'd ever been in their life. They experienced a level of happiness that they never could have before. No, a level of joy that they never could have before. I think they felt fuller. Not fuller like a Thanksgiving dinner full, but fuller of life. More full of life and hope than they ever had in their life before. They had to be more amazed by God than they ever had been before in their lives and maybe ever would be from that day on when they realized that. You see, because what they came to terms with is that they realized that the grave was not the end of the story for Jesus. That's what the Romans hoped for. That's what the religious leaders hoped for. They hoped that, that they could just kill him, it would be all over. This, this rabble-rouser, this insurrectionist as they thought him, this sorcerer some thought of him as, because he could do all these things that they couldn't possibly fathom were really from God. And they thought, if we could just kill the guy, it'll be done. But they came to learn that the grave was not the end of the story for Jesus. And in the coming days in their lives, in the coming years in their lives, they would realize more fully, all the time, progressively more fully, that the grave was not the end of the story for his followers either. That not only was it not the end for Jesus, but it wasn't the end for them. That um, they would come to know that because Jesus is alive, that he offers to his followers eternal life. That's what they would come to know in the coming days and years and, and months of following Jesus. That because Jesus was alive, because the grave was not the end for him, that also for all who followed after him, that the grave wasn't the end. And they would come to understand that through Christ, they, that he offers eternal life. Now this Easter, I want you to understand something. What he offers is eternal life is greater than anything man can offer. You know what? It's even greater than marshmallow peeps and jelly beans. Because that's what the world boils Easter down to. Marshmallow peeps and jelly beans and, and Easter bunnies and everything else. But he offers something so much greater. Eternal life. And that's what I want us to think about on this Easter morning today. I want us to think about that because I'm, I, as we're going to go through our time together today, I'm, I'm hoping we get a fuller understanding of what that really means that he offers his followers eternal life. Understanding today, thinking about today, that because he lives, that we can have eternal life. Because that's what the scriptures tell us. Because he lives, we can have eternal life. Grab your Bibles, power up your iPods, iPads, whatever you have today. Turn with me today to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. Let's look at what Scripture has to say to us this morning about the fact that He is alive. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 20. Are you there yet? So what takes longer, to find your text with an iPad or opening it up? I depends. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20, says this. It says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead. That's Easter. The first fruits of those who are asleep or have died. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Look what it says here. The text here says, Death came to mankind because of one man. It doesn't say who it is there, but we understand from Scripture it's talking about the life of Adam. That Adam chose to obey Satan rather than God. And as God promised him what happened, because he would choose to reject his ways, it resulted in death for all humanity. Starting with Adam first, but then all, all mankind has followed ever since. That since the first Adam, since Adam chose to go his own way, that death entered the world, that he was the first to die, but now all have died ever since. But what the text says is that, but life, real life, eternal life, came to mankind by Christ's resurrection. When he rose from the grave, he was, it says here what? The first fruits of what was to come for mankind. And he was the first fruit, in other words, the first of many. As if the first apple that was picked from the tree, but the tree is full of apples, and will have many more fruit to follow. So Jesus was the first fruit the first one to rise from the dead. When he rose from the grave, he defeated death. And he rose to eternal life. So that those who would follow after him also then have eternal life. It says in our text here, In Christ all will be made alive. Christ has eternal life first, the first fruit. And then mankind has the opportunity to follow after him the continual fruit as they receive eternal life. Because He rose from the grave and has eternal life, then we can have eternal life as His followers. One of the famous verses that we learn as little children and they hold up at, at sporting events, John 3.16, the second half of it, says, Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but shall have what? Eternal life. Everlasting life. Friends, that's the power of Easter. That's what we think about today. That's the power of Easter. And today I want to talk about this. This idea of eternal, everlasting life. About what eternal life really is. Because I think something. I think that we, and I, when I say we, I start with me. That we can fail to really grasp the fullness of what this means of what it means to be given eternal life from our risen Savior. And I want us to get this today. Because it will change not only our future, but it will change our present. It will change Easter 2013 if we really get it. So first of all, you know, we need to get this. We need to get this idea of this. That when Scripture looks at eternal life, that it's, it's more than what we often think of. You know, when we talk about this, we think of eternal life primarily as a future blessing, right? When I say eternal life, our brains normally go to the future. They go to thinking about pertaining to life after death. That's the way we say it. It's life after death. You know, we think of you will die and you will go to heaven. 
when we think of eternal life. That's, what, that's our normal thought. Something to be experienced out there. But I want to consider something today. Is it more than that? Is it not only something out there, but is it also intended by God to be a present reality? Is eternal life intended by God today to be a present possession? Something to experience and enjoy in this life also. Not out there just, but today also. That you could experience eternal life now. That it's about the now. Well, is it the future possession? Is it a future blessing or a present possession? Which is it? Well, the scriptures say this. It says it's both. That eternal life isn't just about out there. It is about out there, but it's also about the now and now. It's both. And this is really important for us to grasp on this Easter Sunday because if we fail to realize the present aspect of eternal life, then our relationship with Christ boils down to just being about out there somewhere. That it's really just about out there. It's about heaven. We focus our life just on on heaven, just on enduring to the end. We talk about life, real life, after death, as if real life isn't for today. But it really doesn't affect, if they have that concept, it really doesn't affect my here and my now all that much because we think of eternal life as just something futuristic. But Scripture shows that eternal life is both a future blessing and a present reality. And friends, if we'll get this today, it'll change. It'll change our everyday. So let's look at these two things today. Let's look at what the Scripture says. It's, it's both. And so let's start with what we're the most familiar with. Looking at the fact that, that, that eternal life is the future blessing. That, that it's something for out there that it really is. And that's what we normally think of. Let's grab your Bibles again and turn with me to what was the best place to look at the future blessing. Turn to the very last book of your New Testament. The very best book, Revelation. Chapter 21. Look at the future blessing of eternal life. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Revelation 21. Look what it says. Verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain, for the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the waters of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son." It's a picture of the future, something that we inherit. And the scriptures call it heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, eternal life. That's what Revelation 21 talks about. A place where it says the most amazing thing, something we long for and hope for, that God will literally dwell among His people. 
That he's not out there somewhere, that he's literally dwelling among his people. Scripture tells us that, that at this current time, that we see our spiritual life as if we see through a glass dimly. But in heaven, then it says, then we will see him face to face. That there will be a fullness to the relationship, a completeness to the relationship. Heaven, that's what it's talking about, that place where God will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death, it says, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. It's heaven. The place Christians look to as the reward at the end of their lives. The place that Christians look to where they can look forward to, to being reunited with those who have passed before them who lived in Christ. When I think of eternal life, this is what I usually think about. This is what I think most of us usually think about. And it's correct to think this way. Jesus said elsewhere in Scripture that those who live righteously would go to eternal life. In Matthew chapter 25, the section of Scripture where he talks about um, judgment at the end of time, and he separates people as, he, as a farmer would separate sheep and goats. He said to the, to the sheep, the ones who lived right, he said they will enter into the reward, eternal life. Jesus said it's something out there. It's a future reward for a life well lived. And I'm glad that we have that. I'm glad that we have that hope. It is certainly correct to think of eternal life as a hope for the future. But I want you to understand today, this is what I think we need to wrap our, our minds around today, and this Easter Sunday. That's not all eternal life is. It's not just out there. It's not just a hope. It's a living reality today. You see, friends, when we come to Jesus... When we come to the risen, living Savior, that Mary could say, my son is alive. When we come to Him, we receive at the time that we welcome Him into our lives and turn from our life of sin and make Him Lord of our life, we then receive eternal life from that moment forward. And at that moment, we are then living in an eternal relationship with God. It's not just about the future. It's about now. Friends, if you are a Christian, then you are living in eternal life now. It's a present reality. But I would say it's a reality that needs to be recognized and understood in order to be experienced in its fullness. You see, the scriptures say in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10, it says, The thief, talking about Satan, comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But then Jesus says, But I, He, came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He wasn't talking about life after death. He was talking about life now. That He came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. Grab your Bibles with me again and turn to the book of 1 John. Not the Gospel of John, but the book of 1 John. Kind of just a little bit in front of Revelation. 1 John chapter 3. And what I want to look at is, um, we're taking a section of Scripture where John is talking about how Christians should interact with other Christians. But in talking about how we should interact with each other, he comes to this theme of eternal life being present and real today. And he uses that as the groundwork for saying, because of the life that's in you today, you should live different than other people. So First John chapter 3, starting in verse 13, look at what it says. It says, Do not be surprised, brethren, talking about to Christians, if the world hates you, first of all, this Easter Sunday, get it. If you're going to live for Jesus, some people aren't going to be real happy with you. Okay? So, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out, have already, passed out of death 
into life. Because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding, look at that word, abiding in him. Look at how how John uses this concept of eternal life here. He says, talking about here, a murderer, and look how he defines a murderer, a little different than we normally do. He says, if you hate a brother in, in Christ, a fellow brother or sister in Christ, he says, you don't have eternal life even in you, there's something wrong with you. But he says here that no person who acts like this, who would have hatred toward a brother in Christ, has eternal life abiding, a present reality, abiding in him. Look what John understands here. John sees eternal life as a present reality that affects how a person acts. He said it's not just for the sweet by and by, it's for the here and now. He sees it as a present reality that affects everything about a person, including how they act. With eternal life, he says, a person acts one way. And without recognizing they're walking in eternal life, a person acts another way. You see, John understands that when someone really meets the risen Savior, that a change takes place. Verse 14, he defines it. Look what he says. When we come to Christ, we pass out of death into life. But the life without Christ is a life of death. It's a life of spiritual death and darkness. But when we come to Jesus, it's a life of life. Do you understand you can live a life of death? That's what he's saying. You can live a life of death. But he's saying, but Jesus' idea is that we would live a life of life. That we'd have life more abundantly. That um, eternal life is for today and now. You see, when you come to Christ you pass from this world of sin and death into the life of God's kingdom. From darkness to light. That's why we baptize people by immersing them in water. Because we, we symbolize what really happens, that you really die to the old life, and from that moment on you're resurrected to life to live forever. That you don't face another death. Really sure this tent, as the Bible calls this tent, will pass away. But the real you, the real alive you on the inside, will never taste death again. When you come to Christ, you come into God's kingdom from darkness, the kingdom of darkness, to the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of life. That's just not some future heavenly reality. That's about the here and the now. There is real life and real power in Christ today. And friends, when we live in that reality, when we recognize it and we embrace it and we live it, it changes everything. In Christ, we experience a quality of life that surpasses what the world has to offer. And I'm not talking about a quality of life the way the world defines a quality of life, because the way the world defines a quality of life is defining it simply by what you can buy, where you can go, what you can do. You know, it's about all stuff that man can accomplish and achieve, and those things can be all right. But I'll tell you this, they have no real lasting value. I'm not talking about a quality of life that's defined by by stuff that passes away in this world. But I'm talking about a real quality of life. A life filled with purpose. A life filled with peace. And a life filled with power. That's what God defines for us. He wants to give us a life that is a life filled with purpose. 
that you know that you have a reason to get out of bed in the morning. There is nothing worse in this life than to just get up and endure another day. Just waiting to close your eyes at the end of the night. Why do you think we have such a problem with drugs and alcohol? Um, because people are trying to just escape the reality of the monotony of another day. In Christ we have purpose because we live eternal life today. We recognize that I'm on mission with God. That's what we get. Lives filled with purpose and power and peace. Lives set free from the chains of addiction. That's what you get when you live in eternal life. There's no... You can have all the human effort in the world to change somebody's life. But John recognized in 1 John, we looked at it earlier, how do you live different? He defined it by this. You either embrace eternal life or you don't embrace eternal life. That eternal life has an effect in you. And that people in this culture today, and all cultures ever, forever have been, that, that if they are bound by things, the thing that unbinds them is life in Christ. That's why when Lazarus rose from the dead, remember when Jesus raised him from the dead, and he came hopping out of the tomb, what did it say? He was wrapped up in grave cloths. And what did he say to his followers? Unwrap them. Take off the bindings. Take off the, the restrictions. Take off the addictions. Because now he has real life. That's what he offers to us. A life free of addictions. Lives filled. Real life, eternal life is lives today. Filled with joy instead of anger. You wrestle with anger. You wrestle with unforgiveness. Real life comes from, from recognizing that Jesus' power today, resurrection power dwells in me and can overcome anything, no matter how heinous and difficult your past may be. He can overcome and give me joy instead of anything negative that the world has. Jesus said, I give you joy. And this is the way he says it. I give you joy, not as the world gives you. I give you peace, rather. Not as the world gives you peace. I give you a different kind of peace. A peace that's tied to eternal life. Eternal life is lives filled with friendship instead of loneliness. That's what he offers. Eternal life is, is having a life filled with the, the fullness of the stuff that money and the world can't provide. You know what real life is, eternal life is? It's knowing that even if every country becomes like Cyprus, and suddenly they announce to you, guess what? We're taking all your money, or a big portion of it out of your savings account. You go, but, 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 that's mine. And they go, but, 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 we need it. That even if they, do, if they would come in and every bank in the planet would foreclose tomorrow, that your living God will still take care of you. That's living an abundant life. That's living an eternal life. Knowing that the living Savior, if He can rise from the dead, He surely can provide for you. If He can feed 5,000 with a little boy's lunch, He surely can provide for you regardless of whatever happens in our world system. Eternal life today is knowing that when you need to know what to do in life, that your Lord has promised to give you wisdom if you ask for it. One of my great promises that I love to hold to is from the book of James. That it says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask. And if you don't doubt, he will give you the wisdom that you need. You know why that is? It's because we're not waiting for out there somewhere that he's saying eternal life is about here today. And I can ask him for whatever I need, wisdom, and he will give me the wisdom that I need. That's living today in eternal life. Not living in fear, not living in confusion but saying, I can go to God and He will direct my paths. That if I have a living, abiding, life-filled relationship with Him today, He'll show me where I should go today and tomorrow. That's living an eternal life. That's living above fear. Eternal life is knowing that the God of today 
is bigger than any hurts from yesterday or any challenges of tomorrow. You know what? In this world, a lot of us are faced a lot of horrible, terrible things in our past. And there's scars and there's wounds because of it. But here's what I know. Based on the one who raised from the grave and offers eternal life for me and you today, that there is no hurt from yesterday that he can't heal. And there's no challenge for t- in tomorrow that he can't overcome. That's living in eternal life. That's the abundance that we have in Christ. It's living in abundance of knowing that He's empowering us today, not just hoping for something tomorrow. Friends, your life is different when eternal life is abiding in you, and you realize it, and you possess it, and you live according to it. You know what? Today is, 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 is one... The one thing of today is today is one more blessed day of an eternal existence with the Lord. That my eternal life with Christ started the day I came to Jesus. So today is just one more day of experiencing eternal life. But you know what it's not today? And this is how we also often fall into this trap. Today is not for me, and I don't want it to be for you, just a day to endure until you get to heaven. And that's what so often we do. We have the mindset when we come to Christ, I'm just going to endure to the end. Scripture says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. That's true. But he also says, I've come to give you abundant life today. That it's not just about enduring to the end. And you're saying, I'm just going to somehow tough it out until Jesus comes, just suck it up and make it through today. That's not the kind of overcoming, joy-filled, power-filled life that God intends for his followers. But that's the way a lot of Christians tend to live. Just endure to the end. I'm looking for I'm looking for it out there. I'm telling you, out there is going to be great. We read about it. But today it's supposed to be great also. Eternal life with the Lord is now. That's what Easter shows us. Our Savior is alive, and our life with Him goes from now in power throughout eternity. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says, dwells in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and empowered Jesus dwells in you. And the same way that Spirit empowered Christ, He wants to empower each and every one of us today. His life and love and power are part of our present as well as our future. Friends, that's what Easter teaches us today. That's what Easter is all about today. So is eternal life Something for out there. The reward for a life well lived. Oh yes it is. And the days when it's really tough, man you cling to that. But you know what else in the days are really tough? You recognize that eternal life is for today. His power, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me and in you if Jesus is your savior. And you live today in the fullness of that. When you don't know what to do, you ask him. When you have a need, you ask him. In all things you understand that, it's, that His power is resident. And not power as in some kind of a thing just given to you that you possess. It's so much more than that. It's a relationship with the living Lord. That He literally lives with you and in you. And that He wants to walk through life and give you this life of, of real life today. That's what Easter teaches us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you pray with me? Let's just take a moment, bow our heads, close our eyes.
and allow just kind of the Word of the Lord to soak into our spirits this morning. Because just maybe you've come in here today and you came in with a, with a bunch of baggage. You came in saying, the hurts of the past have overwhelmed me. You came in saying, I don't know what to do. You come in saying, I have lack. But if you have invited Christ into your life, then His promise to you is power and provision. It's life. Father, we desire to experience your genuine, empowered, eternal life today. And God, I would ask that for any need that any person would have in this place today, that Lord, as they welcome you into their life, they would recognize your incredible power. And that they'd they'd recognize today that you are bigger than any obstacle. Your love never fails. So God, help us today to embrace the truth of your word that says eternal life is is a present reality. And that God, this Easter would look different. We wouldn't just endure to the end. We'd have incredible hope knowing that today is one more day in my eternal existence with the Father and His power is resident in me today because of His Spirit. And I can walk in fullness of life. Every one of us.